here and uh, you engaging with us online um, is a gift. So thank you. As we begin, I want to make sure those of you who are uh, joining us online are able to engage with us in the best way possible. And that's really through what we call our online platform, which you can find at onelifeseattle.org forward slash live. Although we um, broadcast live on Facebook and Vimeo and YouTube, this is really the best place to be as far as connection. We put a lot of time in making it a place where you can communicate and share life with one another. There's a Bible app. Our live prayer app is there as well if you'd like prayer. Important links to resources as well as our notes section. And so um, we just want to make sure you know about that, those of you who are online. Um, however you choose to engage with us, though, we... Um, appreciate you doing so. And, and again, thanks for all of you being here. Today we are launching a brand new six-week sermon series called A Living Hope, looking at the letter um, by first, well, by Peter, called First Peter. Um, before we dive in, though, um, I want to pray. And even actually before I do that, I want to share something that came in. Someone had a sense. This is from Jessica Brady as she was participating with us in our service, had this sense. And um, I thought I would share it with us before we dive in. It says this. This morning, um, I have a sense that people are in different spaces, literally and figuratively, both present and online. Some are grieving, some are hurting, some are joyful, some are ambivalent. But God is abundantly present in all of this. And we are holding space for all of it. And that you're not alone. And that's... Uh, something I hope you feel this morning, wherever you're at, if you're online, however you're doing there, I hope you feel that um, you're not alone, and I think it taps into what we're going to be learning today. So with that, let me open us up with some prayer. Father, Son, Spirit, we recognize your, your faithful presence with us through the Holy Spirit as we take a breath. We are reminded of the gift of life, that you are literally as close as our very breath, that we did nothing to deserve that breath. It's a gift of grace that we have life, that we can participate together and join together in worship and learning and um, being a light to our community. And so God, we just ask that as we learn this morning, you would meet us wherever we're at, whatever's going on in our life, in our situation, in our story. Show yourself to be present. Show yourself to be the living hope that you are. We pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. As we begin, I want to explain um, briefly what we're going to be doing with this series. This is not going to be an in-depth kind of verse-by-verse -verse study. It's impossible to do that in five weeks um, because there's so much goodness in this letter. Instead, this is going to be more of a wonderful taste of First Peter. And I want you to think of it kind of like you have date night and you get to go out to your favorite restaurant so you get there and you have this big menu and you order an appetizer, maybe two. You move on to um, maybe getting a salad or some vegetables. Maybe move on to a pasta dish. This is obviously an Italian restaurant. Um, then you move on to a main course that has some form of meat to it. Um, afterwards, you maybe have another drink. You get some dessert. Um, it's relaxing and you're just enjoying it. Now, if you have enjoyed this, um, Although you've experienced the goodness of the chef and the menu and this restaurant, you clearly haven't experienced everything that this menu and this chef has to offer you, right? But it's really good, and it makes you say, I want to come back for more. Our hope is that as we dive into this series, that that's what's happened. You're going to get a taste of what First Peter is all about. 
it's not going to cover everything, but the hope is that it will encourage you to want to come back for more. So today we're actually not even going to be looking so much at the letter of 1 Peter. Instead, we're going to be looking at the person. We're going to be looking at Peter, the person. Then the remaining five weeks, we're going to take a section from each of the five chapters. Look at that. And then after that, we get to Advent, which is crazy. We're not going to go there yet. So um, that's kind of how we're going to work through this series. And the reason we're doing this is because Um, I believe that Simon Peter, in many ways, is a symbol um, of all of us as followers of Christ. And that as we understand Peter's story, we actually start to have a better understanding of our own story and how God sees us, how God loves us, and walks with us, whatever life brings us. So with that, I want to start with a question, and um, I'd love just to hear from you. You can raise your hand, shout it out. We have someone monitoring our online platform as well, so if you're online and you're participating that way, go ahead and write your thoughts there. But in, in just a few words, what kind of comes to mind when you think of Peter in the Bible? Impetuous. Impetuous. Awesome. Thank you, Laren. Others? Yes, Lauren. The Rock. Okay. Others? What comes to mind when you think of the person Peter in the Bible? Yes. He he denied Christ, not once, not twice, three times. Good, good thing to know. Others? Yeah. Okay. Okay, yeah, yeah. So after he was reinstated, he kind of said, what about John? He said, don't worry about it. You just follow me. Good. Yeah. Lauren. Sorry? He was a fisherman. Awesome. Anything else? Okay, so online one person shared the phrase, get behind me, Satan. Always good. Yes. Holds the keys to heaven. Passionate. Possibly bipolar. Denies Jesus three times. Yeah, the bipolar part isn't specifically listed in scripture, but in parentheses, maybe. Um, Fantastic. That's really good. Uh, In my opinion, Peter's life is perhaps the greatest redemption story ever recorded. And what's great is that the scriptures give us quite a lot of information about who Peter was especially if you look at the Gospels, the Book of Acts, and a number of the epistles. So what we know about Peter, we find throughout the Scripture. So I'm going to give you a bunch of information we're going to kind of learn about and and remember some of the details about Peter. Simon Peter was originally from Bethsaida and lived in Capernaum, both of which are cities on the coast of the Sea of Galilee. Peter's original name was Simon, but Jesus called him Cephas in John 1.42, which is an Aramaic word for stone that translates to Peter or Petros in the Greek. And as a result, Peter is also referred to in scriptures as Simon, Simon Peter, Cephas, or the rock, not to be confused with this guy, who may also be bipolar, but we're not going to go there. Now, uh, his name, that said, had a lot of kind of meaning and debate with it. And if you look at the scriptures, particularly what Jesus said to um, Peter after Ma- in Matthew 16, where Peter correctly identifies Jesus as the promised Messiah, Jesus says this in Matthew 16. It says, 
Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will bring my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you lose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now, based off of this scripture, Catholics argue that the phrases, on this rock I will build my church and I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, is that it's an explicit promise from God to make Peter the leader of the church, which is why they understand Peter to be the very first pope. And why oftentimes you see Peter, as someone mentioned, holding um, keys. So, for example, here's two renditions of Peter. Um, He's oftentimes holding keys. Now, others argue that this phrase, the rock, or this meaning referred to a physical location, that it was on this rock that would happen. It was where they were at. Or that Jesus really just simply meant you're going to be key, you're going to be a foundational, important leader. It wasn't necessarily that he was better than every other of the apostles. That said, his name, just his name, it brings about lots of meaning and debates. Scripture also tells us that Peter was married. Matthew, Mark, and Luke record that Jesus came to Peter's house where his mother-in-law was sick with a fever. The account is incredibly brief, but it does tell us that Peter had a wife. Outside of this, Peter's brother Andrew is the only family member we see regularly in the Gospels, but even there, the Bible doesn't give us a whole lot of detail about him. We also know that many of the other, just like many of the other disciples, and we already mentioned, Peter was a fisherman. And he, James, and John were partners in a profitable fishing business. Now, fun fact, you may have caught this already, but Peter's father, his name was Jonah, or sometimes translated John. So you can imagine as a fisherman, he probably got messed with a lot about the kind of how big a fish he got, you know, with Jonah, big fish. Hey-o, good joke right there. But fun fact, all that to say, his dad's name was Jonah. Now, what we know about fishermen of the day in general, where they were kind of these manly men, they were kind of uh, people known for their hot-headed tempers, often vulgar language. They were traditionally uneducated, but would have had a lot of kind of ample wits and survival skills acquired because of the hard work in braving the seas and working the fish markets. And in many ways, this is who Peter was. It was his upbringing. His father was a fisherman as well. Then he meets Jesus, which leads to his calling. The Gospels of Matthew and Mark and Luke all list Peter as the very first disciple called on by Jesus, followed closely by Peter's brother Andrew, then James and John. Matthew and Mark, their accounts are almost identical, and uh, they tell the story of when Jesus approaches their fishing boats, and Jesus famously says the words, Come, follow me, and I will send you out to fish for people. I will make you fishers of men. Now, Luke adds more detail, painting a picture of Peter and Jesus having this very sincere moment at the very beginning of their relationship. And upon seeing this miracle of fish on an otherwise barren fishing trip, Peter realizes his sinful state and gives glory to the Lord before him by falling on his knees and exclaiming in Luke 5, he says this, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. Yet Jesus looked at Simon Peter and said, Don't be afraid. From now on, 
you will fish for people. And it's after his words that Peter and the other three drop everything, including their identities as fishermen. They begin this amazing journey with Jesus. And Peter continued to make mistakes time and time again. But Jesus, as is his nature, loved Peter wholeheartedly and continued to use Peter in his kingdom work. For the next three years, Peter lived as a disciple of Jesus, and being a natural-born leader, Peter became, in, in many ways, the kind of de facto spokesperson for the Twelve, which leads to Peter's kind of confession, if you will. Because even more significantly than being spokesperson for the Twelve, it was Peter who first confessed that Jesus was who he was. You are the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of the living God a truth of which Jesus says was divinely revealed to Peter in Matthew 16. And so as a result, Peter was part of this inner circle of Jesus' disciples, along with James and John. Only those three were present when Jesus raised the daughter of Jairus in Mark 5, and when Jesus was transfigured on the mountain, Matthew 17. That was when Jesus' physical appearance changed to reveal his divinity Moses and Elijah appeared in glorious splendor before them, and the Father spoke from the cloud, saying, This is my Son, whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. On top of this, Peter and John were given the special task of preparing the final Passover meal in Luke 22. So what we learn from all of this is that Peter's close-knit relationship with Jesus proves that Jesus longs for an intimate relationship with his followers, normal, everyday people, just like Peter, just like you, just like me. And when we look at Peter's story, another thing we see is that Peter continued to grow in his maturity as a follower of Jesus, and this maturity came from living life. He had no problem just going for it and sometimes made mistakes as a result. In other words, Peter's story is full of ups and downs, major successes, and incredible failures. And during Jesus' ministry, Peter was a man who wanted a really big faith but often failed. And in many ways, Peter's faith was a bit of a catastrophe. In several instances, Peter showed himself to be hot-headed to the point of rashness. For example, we all remember the scene where it's Peter who, um, who left the boat to walk on water and, um, to see Jesus in Matthew 14, and then even safely after taking a few steps, takes his eyes off Jesus, begins to doubt, plunges into the water. It's in this passage where Jesus says he saves him from his little faith, from his doubts, from Matthew 14. It was Peter who suggested erecting three tabernacles to honor Moses, Elijah, and Jesus in Matthew 17, and then fell on the ground in fearful silence at God's glory. It was Peter who took Jesus aside to rebuke him for speaking about his death, saying, never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus was rebuked by Peter. Obviously, Peter quickly was uh, corrected by Jesus um, in, in, in the oh-so-kind way of referring to him as Satan, as we already talked about, which is never good, right? No one wants to be called that, especially from Jesus. We also remember that Peter kept falling asleep multiple times 
when he was supposed to keep watch while Jesus was praying. It was Peter who drew his sword and attacked the servant of the high priest and was immediately told to cover his weapon. And it was Peter who boasted that he'd never forsake the Lord, even if everyone else did in Matthew 26, and then later denied knowing Jesus three times. Through all of Peter's ups and downs, Jesus remained uh, his loving Lord and faithful um, guide. We see that Jesus never gave up on Peter no matter what, and Jesus reaffirmed Simon as Peter the rock in Matthew 16, promising that he would be instrumental in establishing the church. And then after his resurrection, Jesus specifically names Peter as one who needed to hear the good news in Matthew 16 and repeated the miracle of that large catch of fish. Then Jesus made a special point of recommissioning Peter as an apostle. And what we see is that through all of these successes and struggles, Peter never stops growing, and God never stops loving him and lavishing God's grace upon him. Peter eventually becomes the spokesperson, as we talked about, and on the day of Pentecost, Peter, filled with the Spirit, was the main speaker to the crowd in Jerusalem, and the church began with this influx of about 3,000 new believers. This unschooled fisherman spoke with boldness to crowds of thousands, bringing them the good news and inviting them into what we now know as Christianity. We also see later that Peter healed a lame beggar in Acts 3 and preached boldly before the Sanhedrin in Acts 4. And in, in Acts 5, we see that even arrests and beatings and threats couldn't damper Peter's resolve to preach the risen Christ. And what we see in his story is that Jesus' promise that Peter would be the foundation in building the church was fulfilled over time in, in, in like three stages. And we already covered the first stage, but the first stage was Pentecost. 3,000 Jews become followers of Christ. That's the first part. Stage two, Samaritans receive the Holy Spirit in Acts 8. Stage three was when he was summoned to the home of the Roman centurion, Cornelius, who also believed and received the Holy Spirit in Acts 10. In this way, what we see is that Peter essentially unlocks, talking about keys, he unlocks three different worlds and opened the door of the church to the Jews, the Samaritans, and the Gentiles. How amazing is that? If that hadn't happened, we wouldn't be here. But again, his story had amazing stories of glory and some not-so-good ones. You might call them growing pains in keeping with the whole maturity idea. For example, at first, he had resisted taking the gospel to Cornelius, a Gentile. However, when he concluded and saw that the Holy Spirit worked on these people the same way, Peter concluded that God did not show favoritism. After that, Peter strongly defended the Gentiles' position as believers and was adamant that they did not need to conform to the Jewish law. But another episode of growth in Peter's life concerned his visit to Antioch. You might remember this from our Galatians sermon series. Here we see Peter enjoying the fellowship with Gentile believers, but when some legalistic Jews arrived in Antioch, Peter, to appease them, withdrew from the Gentile Christians. The apostle Paul saw this as great hypocrisy and called it such to Peter's face in Galatians 2. 
And we see that later in life, Peter spent time with John Mark in 1 Peter 5, 13, who is understood to have written the gospel of Mark based on Peter's stories of his time with Jesus. And of course, Peter, we also know, was uh, influential in writing two God-inspired letters and epistles between AD 60 and 64. And if we keep going according to church tradition, Peter was killed by Emperor Nero in AD 60, sometime after this great fire of Rome, which many believe Nero started and then blamed Christians for doing it. We see in the last chapter of the Gospel of John that Jesus tells Peter, when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go, John 21, 18. But then the author then remarks, <clears throat> that Jesus said that this was to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. See, the tradition has it that Peter was crucified upside down in Rome because he didn't consider himself worthy of dying the same death as Jesus. And although this story may be true, uh, there's no specific biblical witness to the particulars of Peter's death. There's lots of other historical documents that tap into this idea, but straight scripture, there isn't. Now, let's pause there. That was a lot of information about Peter. And uh, with our time now, with all of that, we have to stop and go, so what? What do we do? How does this person, Peter, from so long ago, have anything to say to us right now? And so for the remainder of our time, I'm going to ask us some questions to get us to reflect on our own stories and how Peter's story teaches us about our relationship with Jesus and how it teaches us about how God sees us and loves us. I want to remind you of that word that we heard at the beginning. We're all in different places. We're all processing different things, but, but God is present with us. And so as you hear these questions, if you want to jot them down, you can. Um, if you want to just think about them, reflect on them, um, if you want to journal about them later, that's fine too. But these aren't intended for you to shout out the answers. These are intended for you to reflect upon. Those of you who are online, if you want to use the notes section to keep track of that, you're welcome to do that as well. Here we go. Question number one. Have you ever felt called by God? Maybe it was in coming to have a relationship with Jesus. Maybe you've been led by the Spirit at times to do something or to say something. Maybe God gave you a vision for something and God called you to do it or participate in that vision. Maybe you read your Bible and felt compelled to apply it to your life in a new way. And God called you to do that. Maybe like Peter, you have seen how God can take who you are like a fisherman and use that for kingdom purposes, like being a fisher of men. But it's unique to your story. Think of the many times Jesus called Peter. We just hit a bunch of them. And notice it wasn't always when things were going great. Notice the invitations weren't always easy. Notice that Peter didn't always do the right thing with his calling. Have you ever felt this way? Have you ever felt called by God? What was it like? And how did you respond? Question number two. 
You ever had a time in your life where you felt on fire with your faith? You felt like your relationship with God was exciting and strong and growing. Maybe you were involved in a ministry, a group, or, or, or participating in a service opportunity, and you really experienced God at work in and around and through you. Maybe it was a mission trip. Maybe you stepped out in faith not knowing what would happen, and you experienced God do something exciting. Maybe your prayer life felt healthy, and you were seeing God answer prayer. Maybe you just felt a greater closeness of the Holy Spirit in your life as a whole. Now, when you think about Peter's story and those moments where God did something incredible in and around and through him, how, how, how often did it follow with something hard, challenging, or difficult? How often did Peter find himself dealing with doubts and failures even after having experienced God-sized miracles. And how close was Jesus in relationship to Peter in all of those stories? Question number three. Have you ever found yourself doubting your faith or struggling to connect with God? Maybe like Peter, you find yourself falling asleep when you should be praying. Maybe you struggle with guilt and shame. Maybe you have a hard time living out your faith in the presence of particular people for fear of what they might think of you. Maybe you've had times where you said you'd do something and then when the opportunity came to do so, you didn't. Maybe you have questions about your faith but fear what others might think of you if they knew the questions you were wrestling with. Maybe you've straight up denied your faith in Jesus to others. Now, when you think about Peter's story, remember some of his struggles. Like walking on water, then sinking. Falling asleep on Jesus in his time of need. Rebuking Jesus to his face. Denying Jesus multiple times. Going back to being a fisherman after Jesus' death. Questioning God's call to reach new people. Shrinking to the peer pressure of the culture instead of living out the upside-down kingdom of God. How did Jesus respond to Peter in those situations? Question number four. Have you ever experienced trials, sufferings, or difficulties that felt beyond your control? Maybe it's health-related or serious relational struggles. Maybe it's financial heartaches or, or loss or depression, or lack of vision. Maybe it's persecution or something else. Think about Peter's story. Think about the times he was put on trial or imprisoned. Think about him leaving his identity and occupation of a fisherman and the effects that must have had on his life and his family and his way of life. Think of the scene of him drowning after having taken a few steps on the water. Think about the persecution he experienced for being a follower of Christ. Think about the loss and hopelessness he must have felt when Jesus was crucified. Where was Jesus in all of this in relationship to Peter? How did Jesus respond to Peter 
in all of this. As we end, I hope you hear the echoes of what a living hope looks like in a person's life. That as we think about Simon Peter's story, maybe the most redemptive story ever recorded, we might see something of our own story in it as well. Because we've all experienced something of a calling from God that we have responded to or else we wouldn't be here. Maybe just you being here today is the first time you respond to a call. We've all experienced something of the work of God through the Holy Spirit in and around and through us. We've all experienced struggles and doubts and failures in our faith as well as answers to prayer. Each and every one of us has gone through times of spiritual awakening and time of absolute spiritual dryness. We've experienced being hypocrites, pressure to live out our faith or not in the current culture. And we've all probably felt some sense of persecution for what we believe at times. And the list could go on. You see, the story of Peter shows us the transforming power of a relationship with Jesus. And it helps us overcome fear and shame and doubt. It teaches us that Jesus always forgives, including our own unfaithfulness. It shows us the patience that Jesus has in teaching us and walking with us, that Jesus sees us as God intends us to be, and that God can use any of us with purpose, no matter who we are and what we do. The story of Peter shows us that God never gives up on us, and that God remains faithfully present with us, no matter what, no matter what's going on, in and around and through us in our city, in our country, in our cu- culture, in our world. And ultimately, Peter's story shows us what a living hope looks like in action. And it invites us to live into all of what that means, and it invites us to share it with others in our day-to-day life. Amen? May it always be so for each and every one of us. May we be reminded of this as we dive into the book of Peter. Now, I'm going to invite our worship team to come back. They're going to play instrumentally for a few moments to give us some space to kind of reflect, to think about what we've learned, reflect on the story of this person. Um, And I have a couple questions of reflection and application I'd love to hear your thoughts on. So if you'd be willing to do that, you could use your connection card. That's the best way. Those of you who are here, the connection card's on your seat. Um, If you're online, you'll see a link for it in the online platform. Um, If you'd be willing to answer one or uh, all or however many of these questions, that'd be great. Um, Or, um, you know, if you have something else you'd like to share, that's great. Those of you who are here, as you leave, you could just slide the connection card in the wood box in the center aisle way. That would be great. Um, Question number one. What's something that stood out to you or that you learned about the life of Simon Peter today? Something that stood out to you or maybe something new you learned. Number two, what parts of your story do you find connecting in some way to Peter's? Number three, what can you learn or apply from Peter's story? And number four, thinking of Peter's story, what do you think it means to have a living 
So again, take, take some time, however you want to do, whatever questions you want to respond. If you have something different, feel free, though, as the band is playing, to use this space to, to pray and to confess, to own, to give thanks, to receive, to be filled, to dream, whatever you feel called to in this time. I also want you to know that our prayer team is back being live. So if you, you're here and you'd like prayer, they're here. They'd love to pray with you. If you're online, all you have to do is hit that request prayer button on the left of the chat. Um, note whichever angle you're coming from that you might need to wait until they're done praying with whoever's before you. Um, so just be patient, but they would be honored to pray with and for you. I'm going to close us in prayer. I'll give you some space to reflect, to respond, however you feel called to. And then we'll end with one last song of response. So let's pray. Father, Son, Spirit, we thank you again that you meet us wherever we're at. That our story is not one that you can't handle, that you walk away from. God, that you, you pursue us, you walk with us, you're patient with us. You understand. And we thank you for the story of Peter, this person who, I mean, we can even joke about how he responds and think how we would never do something like that. And yet, if we think about our story with honesty, we know we've pretty much done it all. And so we just thank you for this story of redemption and how it relates to us, how we can see um, the power of your love and your grace what a living hope looks like that's never-ending. God, we pray that we would experience more and more of that and we would live into more and more of this living hope. And as we dive into this book, God, um, help us know what it looks like in a culture right now that's struggling, um, that's um, divided. It's got a lot of issues going on. Help us to know how to be men and women who live out and share this living hope with others. And God, thank you that uh, no matter how many times we trip and fall, the, the put things and say things we wish we hadn't said, um, shy away from doing the things that you call us to, God, thank you that you um, continue to be present with us and love us. And we walk away from here today knowing that and holding that and hopefully sharing that as we go. We pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.